This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is uh, Matt Splained. Now, it's been roughly a month since Apple shook the digital world by allowing its users to opt out of various data collection mechanisms that may be tracking users across other apps and websites. And I'm sensing there might be some kind of I told you so moment from Matt Armitage in this week's Matt Splained. Matt, first, let's clear up one of the fundamentals. Do these changes mean that iPhone users will no longer see ads when they browse or use apps on the device? Hey, Rich. Well, unfortunately, yes, you're still going to see ads uh, to block ads. You know, there are third party services, including a lot of VPNs that will do their best to, to block as many ads as possible. Now, that's not just limited to the iPhone, that's on all the operating systems, desktops, laptops, Android, whatever. Uh, These changes essentially mean that users have more control over how sites track them and how that data is used, or at least telling you how that data is going to be used. Mm. So for ease of use, and because that's the uh, example most people seem to land on, we'll use Facebook on iOS, you get a a pop-up when you open an app that tracks you across other sites and it asks you if you want to continue to allow that tracking. Now, you can also go to the privacy settings in the control panel of the device to see which apps are tracking you and all of that, you know, where and what. Mm. So were many of these controls already there, just maybe buried somewhere that we didn't necessarily see them? Well, yes. Yeah. So these are these new changes are called app tracking transparency. So transparency is the key word there. Mm. Uh, as you said, rather than being buried in menus no one ever looks at, they're putting that permission up front. So literally in front of your nose, and they're requiring you to make a choice. Uh, knowing what apps are tracking you, having a better idea of what information they are collecting is a good thing, but it doesn't give you the right to demand that they give you a copy of the information that they have on you or to delete what's already there. It's simply requiring them to tell you that tracking is going on and to request permission to continue doing it. All right. Um, Are the, you know, uh, giants like Facebook and Google, do they have a right to be worried or, or, or do you think they're just blowing smoke? Well, you know, it sounds like a simple question, but it's actually a, a, an incredibly complex set of answers. You know, it's probably more accurate to say that uh, that's actually a number of questions. If you take it at surface value, it does look bad for companies that have built business models based on what they call the open internet. Mm. But even that term, open internet, is a bit misleading. You know, it sounds very accessible, uh, very democratic, but it's not necessarily open in the sense that it's empowering the user. Mm. Are we back to that discussion then between walled gardens and public digital spaces? 
Well, in a sense, you know, a company like Apple can exercise a lot of control over the behavior, not just of its own users, but also of the companies that want to gain access to its systems. So hence the legal battles that we've seen between the makers of apps like Fortnite and Apple over the percentages of app revenue that the the company takes and the fact that, you know, that's a, a take it or leave it offer. And we've grown used to the convenience of apps on our computers and devices. So for a lot of companies, there isn't another alternative. So you and I have both recently purchased new computers that features uh, feature Apple's M1 chip. So one of the selling points, for me at least, was the fact that I can run those iOS apps on my laptop because not every app has an equivalent service that's accessible through a desktop app or through the browser. So to say something extremely dull, it simplifies my workflow. Hmm. Uh, You know, I don't have to use different apps or services depending on what device I'm using. Right. But having said that, you are the archetypal Apple victim, are you not? Absolutely. And, you know, it's something that I've said to people in the past. I've been using Apple products for so long that it would be cripplingly expensive for me to switch to another platform now. Mm. The majority of apps and services are cross-platform, but there are enough apps that I use or programs that I use that are platform-specific to put me off even the idea of switching. But even within that walled garden structure, I can still go out to the open internet. Mm. I have a whole bunch of subscriptions that I make directly to the manufacturer or the service provider that don't go through any of Apple's payment gateways. And I'm still able to use those apps on my devices or access them through a browser or download the the software. So by the same token, though, I'm not sure that it's fair to say that companies like Google and Facebook are truly a part of the open internet. Because they're promoting their own ecosystems? Well, exactly that. You know, the open internet has become shorthand simply for not charging you for things. But as we know, Google and Facebook are not free services, Mm. hence the importance of tracking you across multiple sites and apps, because that's the information that all data harvesting companies use to create those personalized profiles that they sell. Mm. They offer targeted ads to advertisers that reach you and ostensibly cover the the time and cost of you using that service. So that is the transaction. That's the agreement you've made with that particular piece of software. But it's interesting that the discussion has mostly seemed to revolve around the larger players. So when the news came out that Apple was planning to make this move, uh, we saw it impact earnings calls across the tech sector. I think I read on Bloomberg that the dating app Bumble was preparing for up to 80% of its users to opt out of tracking. Uh, Snap Incorporated has also cautioned that these changes could have a significant impact on the way that the company interacts with advertisers on Snapchat. And Twitter has also claimed that it's likely to have at least a modest impact on the company's revenues. Can you explain that a a little bit more? Uh, You mentioned these platforms will, will still be able to show users ads. Um, it's more that those ads will, is it more that those ads will become less targeted? 
Well, yeah, you know, the modern brand advertising industry is built around this idea of targeted ads, the idea that your advert goes to the audience that is most suited to respond to it. Mm. It's theoretically, at least, more effective. It's more cost effective than traditional models of advertising, you know, something like running a, a 15 second spot on TV or radio. Plus, you can also track the the measure of effectiveness of those ads much more closely. So in a sense, it was a, well, not in a sense, I mean, it was, it was a game changer. It was the promise that you could reduce your customer acquisition costs, you could measure your conversions, and you could correlate the success of marketing campaigns relative to sales performance. And, and, and that does that value proposition collapse once we revert to normal or, or less targeted ads? Well, it's another interesting question that's, you know, it's a, a lot simpler than the answer. So on the surface, yes, but we do have to look a bit deeper than that. Not every app or website that's tracking you is doing you to serve you ads on their own platform. Many, particularly the smaller ones, are selling that data to other third parties and aggregators who can then build their own personalization models that they sell to other players. Mm. So for those smaller companies, these changes are essentially turning off the oil that fuels them. Which obviously is less of an issue for a company like uh, Facebook. I mean, the extent of which remains to be seen. So obviously, uh, the iOS market is quite a small overall percentage of the device market. I think it's about a billion devices in total. Mm. So in the US, it's about half the market. But in most other countries, Android is actually the the dominant player. Mm. So we should note that there have been reports and rumors that Google is planning something along a similar line for Android. So we're going to have to, to wait and see, essentially. We need to wait until those financial results come out for companies like Facebook to see what the actual impact has been. In fact, uh, and we'll get to this after the break, these changes may actually be good for the big tech companies, for the Facebooks, Googles, Amazons, and of course, Apple itself over the longer term. One of the more interesting effects of Apple's action has been this opening up of the conversation about how effective those targeted ads actually are. In terms of the uh, conversion aspect or in terms of building revenue generating profiles? Mostly the latter, I think. You know, there's this fear that without targeted advertising, advertisers will have nowhere to turn. Mm. Again, you know, this is probably something that's likely to have more impact on smaller companies, certainly in the, the, the longer term. Larger companies may experience short-term fluctuations in terms of uh, the effectiveness of campaigns and the sales they see as a result. But certainly my experience with some of those larger companies suggests that they were already starting to question the effectiveness of targeted ads and the platforms that they sit on. Mm. And again, you know, it's something that we've seen in the past. Court documents from whistleblowers at technology companies who allege that ads only reach target consumers around 50% of the time. You know, we had that running joke on the show for a while that I was being followed around by ads for network switches. Hmm. And I have no idea what a network switch is. So surely somebody who has no idea what your product is, is not your target audience. You know, other than the fact that I'm now talking about network switches on radio and have been for the last few months. So <laughs> if that was the point of the ads to get me to talk about them here, then 
fantastic. Uh, what a success, but very Machiavellian. <laughs> right. Um, that 50% effectiveness you mentioned just before, uh, presumably those are uh, percentages that reduce over time as these uh, systems become uh, more effective and more information is gathered. Yeah, uh, sorry. I mean, it should be the the, the ineffectiveness, I guess, that uh, that reduces. The, the systems will improve over time, so those percentages will go up kind of naturally. But there's also a point at which new information is no longer valuable or starts to bring a, a diminishing return. And that's something that we've seen in the expansion of uh, Alphabet, Google's parent company. It goes off in multiple directions because the kind of information they can gather from search has a ceiling in terms of value. They have to find other forms of data to monetize, hence the uh, urban renewal projects and autonomous cars and all these other projects. If targeted advertising effectively disappears or is limited to within specific apps or platforms, big companies are going to find other ways to get their message across. So it's simply an evolution in the business. Advertising always looks for new opportunities and it adapts to the realities of the world around it. Okay, when we come back, how big tech may benefit from better privacy. You're listening to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Brand-friendly marketeers, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You are tuned in to Matt Splained. I'm Rich Bradbury. Uh, we're looking at changes to Apple's data privacy requirements on uh, MSP today. Before the break, we discussed the effectiveness of targeted ads themselves and asked who these changes would really affect. I suppose then uh, one of the questions we have to ask is, uh, is this really the tumbling of the walls that some commentators have been talking about? We, one of the things you know you always have to ask yourself is, who are the people who are answering those questions? You know, What's their motivation for answering them? And that's just as relevant to anyone listening to me right now. Mm. Why am I answering these questions? So if you work for a company that either models this data or specializes in creating targeted advertising for clients, then sure, these changes could potentially rewrite your business model. For a company like Facebook, well, it's likely that the impact is going to be more modest. Uh, again, I think from a Bloomberg piece that I read, um, and I think the research itself came from Bank of America, they suggested that Facebook would face an impact of around 3%, which, you know, given the company's revenue from advertising, that's a huge sum of money, but yeah. it's a pretty small percentage of their revenue overall. And Mark Zuckerberg has said himself in media reports that these changes could actually strengthen Facebook's position in that longer term. Because they have the dominance in terms of audience uh, and market share? Sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, they have the user base, they have the data, they can continue to run targeted ads 
within their own platform to billions of people. Zuckerberg has explicitly mentioned in the media that it's the smaller players may, who may be hit harder by these changes. Mm. There was a, a, an interesting point that the academic and technology columnist John Norton mentioned in a piece for The Guardian a few weeks ago. He mentioned that when you get that tracking pop-up on an iPhone, it says, ask app not to track. It doesn't say tell app not to track. Right. So you can see where the power dynamic is and where the dynamic is intended to remain. The question isn't so much about whether those companies, those apps have the right to track you. It's that you now have the much weaker right to very politely ask them not to. So um, are there other ways that companies will still be able to track you? Absolutely. I mean, what this does is limit or make more transparent the most explicit forms of tracking. In the same way that anonymized data can be tracked back to individual users through various fingerprints and watermarks, companies will still be able to track us in other ways, just with traditional cookies and other tools. We may well see a growth through uh, an expansion within those industries that soaks up some of the losses in that more explicit section of the data gathering industry. So it's not an end to surveillance capitalism in any way, shape or form. It's simply a modulation of it. The big companies, the ones who have the largest pools of data, uh, which have uh, services that are most effective at retaining consumers, they are likely to see more of the digital advertising market share heading in their direction, which is what I think Mark Zuckerberg is banking on. Right. You mentioned Amazon as one of the potential winners in this battle for uh, transparency. Well, yeah, when we think about Amazon and data, we tend to think of the company as a closed loop, that it collects data from its customers simply to sell them other things from within its rapidly growing ecosystem. Yeah. We don't necessarily think how important Amazon's data could be to external parties. So if we have a situation where companies like Facebook or Google become less relevant because users are able to opt out of tracking mechanisms, then that may have a knock-on effect of making that pool of Amazon customers more valuable to third parties. Is that because Facebook has users and Amazon has customers? Yeah, it doesn't sound like much, but it's an important distinction. Facebook's users don't spend money with the company, whereas Amazon's user base is mostly linked to some kind of retail. Mm. What we haven't seen so far is Amazon aggressively pushing into that brand advertising space. Now, that may change as its own ecosystem becomes more valuable in relation to those of its competitors. The category of its business that includes ad revenue, um, Amazon doesn't split it out explicitly, so you can't see uh, what is spent exactly in that sector. Uh, it, that category grew 77% in the first quarter of 2021 oh. to a value of almost $7 billion. Now, that's GameStop, Dogecoin levels mm. of crazy growth, 77% in a quarter. It's likely that that continued growth will primarily be within on-site adverts. Now, by on-site, I mean properties that are owned by Amazon. But again, we forget the scale of Amazon's empire. Amazon, Audible, IMDb, and IMDb 
is about to launch its own TV app. So that's another potential rich source of data and a mechanism to expose users to advertising. Amazon Web Services, its Prime Video and Music Services, and many of Amazon's services are membership or subscription-based. Like a giant loyalty program. Yeah, so Amazon has more than 200 million Prime members. Now, that may be small potatoes compared to the billions of users that Facebook has, but those 200 million people pay for Prime. So we're back to that users versus consumers debate. And they pay around $120 per user per year, depending on what country they're in. That's US dollars. So if traditional targeted ads start to have less effect, that smaller pool of proven paying customers starts to look a lot more attractive. And it may not just be companies like Amazon that benefit. The big box retail stores with large loyalty programs could stand to benefit as well. Uh, In the US, the examples would be companies like Target, who have invested heavily in these loyalty programs and in consumer behavior modeling. Mm. It comes back to the point you said earlier then about advertising always finding new models to expand into. Yeah, so as I said, most of these companies have used their data primarily to feed their own retail sales. But if they see the market for targeted ads changing, it's possible that they may start to see brand advertising as something that can generate significant revenue for them, which takes us back to, you know, that 77% sector growth at Amazon. Yeah, but one thing we we haven't spoke about yet is uh, the benefits to Apple itself. Uh, Talk to us a bit about that. Well, you know, there's been a lot of media attention on the supposed feud between Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg and their Mm. competing visions for our digital future. And it comes back to what I was saying at the start about that open internet. Obviously, this model will make it a lot more difficult for a lot of sites, apps, and platforms to offer free services to users and then monetize the data that they've gathered. I don't think Apple's intention is to put these companies out of business. I think we're seeing the company push those companies towards a business model that Apple can benefit from. On the one hand, the company uh, is using tracking transparency to benefit its own customers because like Amazon, Apple has a monetized customer base rather than a revenue passive user base Mm. because Apple sells hardware and services to them directly. And through its app store, Apple is also a, a gatekeeper? Yeah, an enormous gatekeeper. So this may well push many app makers to explore that hitherto untried and untested business model of charging money to their users <laughs> and turning them into customers. So I would imagine that that's what the company is gambling on, that more websites and platforms will move to subscription or retail-funded models and drop the ad or data-funded revenue models. Some content producers, I think, uh, including the Financial Times, have already added new subscription tiers in response to these new changes. Isn't this what you've been advocating for years, that we, we just pay for the services that we use? I know. It's really weird. You know, we we tend to calculate things like brand value based on what we consider the products to be worth. You know, it's one of the reasons that we pay more money for Prada than for Levi's. So many people tell me or, you know, they say, 
I can't live without Facebook. Mm. What are they prepared to pay for it? Mm. Certainly the anecdotal research that I've done shows that people are very loath to pay any money for it. And that makes this week's news about Twitter all the more interesting. Right. Twitter has struggled to become the kind of targeted advertising dynamo that Facebook has developed into. The company was already known to be looking into subscription models for certain services and functionality. Uh, A few days ago, uh, an app researcher called Jane Manchin Wong published details of what she believed will be Twitter's new subscription model. It's a tier called uh, Twitter Blue, uh, which should be priced at Two ninety nine, uh, yeah, US dollars two ninety nine per month. This would include better organizational features and include an undo tweet function, which would allow you to recall a tweet and prevent others from seeing or reposting it for uh, the first few seconds. Wow, has uh, Twitter confirmed or denied these reports? It hasn't, but that's not unusual for the company. So Jane Manchin Wong has a a pretty good track record when it comes to unearthing this stuff from the minutiae of those terms and conditions that we never read. (laughs) And adding uh, fuel to the rumors uh, are some of the company's recent acquisitions, like uh, Review, uh, a company that uh, publishes a a newsletter subscription service, uh, and a, a company called Scroll, which, again, it's a subscription service which removes ads from sites that participate with it. Mm. So it may well be that Twitter Blue is simply one uh, one tier among several that could include, include different types of services, including ad removal and newsletters. Is this your um, I told you so moment? You know, I don't want to, to gloat. I do get things wrong as often as I get them right. But I think what Apple's transparency moves have demonstrated are that business models built around the monetization of user data are very fragile. It doesn't take a lot for the ground to shift underneath you. The idea that uh, apparent financial certainties can quickly become obsolete. Yeah, the BlackBerry is a, a Good example, as is uh, Nokia. Back in 2002, when you were watching uh, Minority Report, you'd have thought that the future belonged to Nokia. Mm. Now, that might still turn out to be the case. Its systems infrastructure may well be the backbone of tomorrow, things like 5G. But in terms of its consumer devices, another company, HMD Global, now licenses Nokia's name. So these are brands that were once ubiquitous but failed to adapt to the changing world around them. A a decade ago, it looked like eBay would be the future of e-commerce, but Mm. when was the last time you sat there watching an auction and chucking in last-minute bids? You know, today we're watermarking pixels and selling them for millions of dollars. But even those hard-to-understand high-tech NFTs, non-fungible tokens, follow a much more traditional business model than companies like Facebook. An NFT may be a digital product, but it's a fairly normal transaction. You buy an NFT for a negotiated price. It doesn't matter if you're paying in cash or cryptocurrency. And that's the model that served commerce for thousands of years. It's not much different from, I'll give you five silver pieces for your cow. (laughs) You know, if we come back to tracking transparency in the data harvesting industry, if the actions of one company like Apple can throw the entire business model of a huge section of the digital economy into question, 
then that section urgently needs a rethink. Thanks very much for that, Matt. Thank you for having me. And of course, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to uh, culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about Culture Pop and its consulting services. And if you missed any part of this show, head over to the Apple App Store or Google Play to download the BFM app and listen back to it at your leisure or head over to bfm.my. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.